Amen. You may be seated. Before we even begin, you realize that song is called the Revelation Song? Uh, if you're not aware, that's actually Revelation 4. And so that's what says going on in the heavenly right now. That they're surrounding the throne, singing those words over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's a pretty cool picture. In fact, oftentimes I think of how uh, we try to plan our service in different songs and the way they go together. Pick that song like four weeks ago, not knowing I was going to be in Revelation 2 today. Right? That happens a lot. Right? Like I think plan all this stuff out and then God comes along and just kind of sweeps those things up. And so what a cool picture of that's what's going on in the heavenlies right now, that that's what they're singing as we join with them this morning. So let's pray and then we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2 together. God, we thank you uh, for this glorious picture uh, of, of the heavenlies proclaiming your name and that we can join in with that, that you are our king and that you are reigning and that we get to sing your praises. And so we thank you for that great privilege. We pray this morning that as we open your words and we spend time in it and we look at what you call us to and the way you teach us and instruct us and love us, we pray that your spirit would move mightily in this place and that you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts and our minds, that you would uh, teach us, that you would correct us, that you would show us, that you would point us more fully to Jesus, and that all that we are holds together in him, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would be uh, glorified in our time here together this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, how many of you, just thinking back, as a little kid used to play uh, the game Telephone? You ever play that? Like in, in school where you'd, you'd pass around a message and you'd whisper it in each other's ear and you'd go all the way around the class and then you'd get to the end and it'd be something totally different and then you thought that was really funny and everybody would laugh and it'd be like, oh, that was so distorted from the way it started. And uh, I was thinking about this this week because I had read this book a couple years ago and I had scribbled this, this phrase down and I've come back to it a couple different times. I read this book called Re-Jesus and it was by a guy named Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. And what they were saying in this book uh, best I understood it, big picture was we need to get back to what does it really look like to see who Jesus is as he's presented in the Bible and what that looks like. And in that book, they talk about this phenomenon that kind of uh, accompanies any movement throughout history called the routinization of charisma. Now, I want you to think about just what that means in that picture that's there. But what they would say uh, is that any movement that happens, whether it's a revival or a, a big movement throughout history or religions getting started or different things, the longer and further away you get from that event that helps start it, it becomes kind of like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, kind of like a game of telephone. And, and over time, it starts to get distorted or it starts to take on different meanings or it starts to uh, uh, bring to the forefront things that maybe shouldn't be in the forefront. And what they were saying in the book is oftentimes within the church, we do that within Christianity and we start to add things and we start to become about different traditions or different things and the most essential things kind of get pushed to the side and then that, that ebbs and flows and comes back. And so the point of the book was calling us back to that uh, true biblical Christianity of who Jesus is and keeping him at the center. And I was thinking about that book and that idea in that sometimes our faith can go in those cycles like that, that at different times we can start to things become kind of ho-hum they become, we do it out of duty, we do it out of routine, uh, we, we should come to worship, we should be here, we should get together, we should do those things. And it starts to feel like I do this kind of because I have to, I'm supposed to, I should do this, we're told you need to do this. And it becomes this thing that's like, uh, it, it becomes just like this, this duty, this hard thing that we have to do. 
And, and I think sometimes about that uh, with my children when I watch them. You know, with, with kids, a lot of times they do things just out of pure joy because they're excited to do things, right? Like, so Asher asks me frequently, Asher's my oldest son who's about to turn 10. He'll come in and go, Dad, can we go running? Right? He'll just ask me, can we go, like, run around the block? And, and my response is usually, why would we want to do that? Like, <laughs> you, sure, you sure about that? And he's like, yeah, let's just go. It'd be fun. I got a lot of energy. Let's just go. And he wants to run for that. And I think, well, I should do it because I need to do it for my health and I need to do it. And it, and it becomes like this duty thing of like, uh, okay, I'll run with you. I'll, I'll go run around the block with you. But it's not the same as the way he is. And I think that's the way our faith sometimes ends up being. Uh, I've heard this a lot. And maybe you've experienced this. I've heard people tell me this over years in different times of, I remember when I first became a believer, when I first met Jesus and I saw my need for a savior and I professed faith and God was doing this work in my life and I was so on fire and I wanted to tell everybody and I was so excited about it. And oftentimes what happens is people articulate the story then goes, the way I've heard it a lot, I'm not putting this on anybody, but I have heard this at different times. They'll say that and then they'll say, and I wish I was still like that. I wish I could kind of get back to that, that way I was so excited at the beginning and the way it was. And then they'll go on to articulate that it's more kind of a duty and a thing I've got to do and all that kind of stuff that comes in. And so what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, really since the beginning of the year, is discipleship. Growing in obedience, growing in faith, growing in, in following Christ in every area of our life. And we've been talking about the importance of our up relationship with God and our in, our relationship with one another and our relationship out to the world, and, and doing that and growing in those things. But sometimes when we talk about those things, I actually had a couple conversations this week where people were talk, just articulating, like, sometimes that feels like a burden, right? Like, we're called to do this, and I should do this, and I want to, but it becomes hard, and it's not out of a joy, it's out of a difficulty to, to continue to press on and do those things. And I think that's a very real thing for all of us as we walk through our life of discipleship, of growing in our relationship with God, that those things naturally come in. And so today I want us to think about this idea of how evangelism, what we talked about last week, and big, big picture, if you weren't here, just, just as we go back, that can be a loaded word in the church when we start to talk about evangelism. But evangelism just means proclaiming who God is and what he's done. The good news of who God is and what he's done. That the God of the universe loved you so much that he came down into time and space and he lived the perfect life that you haven't lived. And he gives you the benefit of that by grace through faith in Jesus. And that the God of the universe loves you so much that he saves you and draws him to himself. And we proclaim that good news, the proclamation of that evangelism, the evangel that we, we say and we tell this. But oftentimes... And this is where I want us to go today as we think of evangelism as something that we as believers that have come to put our faith in Jesus tell the people who don't yet know Jesus. And that's absolutely true. And that's right. And that's really what we talked a lot about last week. But what I want us to think about is evangelism also has a place between us as believers to one another within the body, especially as we struggle with this becoming a duty and a thing that's hard that we we struggle through. That we need to be reminded of the good news of who God is and what he's done and what that means for us all along the way. And so what I want us to think about by looking at Revelation chapter 2 this morning is that idea that evangelism is, is a unique, important 
uh, vital part of our discipleship or, or what we sometimes would call our sanctification. Our sanctification is growing uh, in Christ likeness, growing in our relationship with God, becoming more and more like him in every way. Uh, discipleship, uh, sanctification go hand in hand together when we think of those. And so I want us to think about how those two go together by looking at Revelation chapter 2. So if you would turn there with me, we're going to look at just the first seven or so verses of Revelation chapter 2. And as you're turning there, let me just set scene a little bit because I know in this series we've been skipping around to different passages. And so now we go to Revelation. Uh, Revelation, when you say that, your ears probably perk up for one or two reasons. One, it's like, I don't want to have anything to do with Revelation. I'm not sure about that book. Or maybe it's like, ooh, this is kind of exciting and uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in Revelation. But let's just kind of, before we even look at it, just put it here this way. Revelation is a, is a vision that God gives to the Apostle John, who is uh, off on an island in the Greek islands, off uh, exiled there, and God gives him this vision. And he gives him this vision at a time when the church is under fierce, fierce persecution. And I think the big picture of what Revelation is, it's not as, as crazy or hard to understand as we like to make it oftentimes, but it's simply this. The book of Revelation is that God has won, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to set all things right. What a wonderful encouragement in the midst of persecution in a crazy world. And that's what God was doing in Revelation. That's what he was saying. That's what he's telling us. But oftentimes we take Revelation and we turn it into all these things I don't think God ever intended it to be. Sometimes we get to Revelation and we go, okay, now we're going to speculate on all kinds of different things and we're going to figure it all out. I can tell you that uh, with pretty good certainty that's not what God was after and there's a couple reasons why. One is 150 plus times in the New Testament, Jesus' second coming is mentioned. And you know what? In those 150 plus times, it's never once told for you to speculate on how or when that's going to look like. 150 times and not once is it ever to get you to speculate. Oh, and then the second one is Jesus says no one knows the time. Right? And so whenever somebody tells you this is the time and this is what it looks like and this is how it's going to happen, Jesus says no, they don't. Right? And so I just want you to be careful when we get to Revelation. It's a beautiful picture of what God's going to do through Jesus and how he's going to return and how he's going to set things right. And we know the end and we can rest in that. And that's what it's there for. And so when we look at the beginning of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning in chapter 2, there's seven letters to seven churches that are in the midst of this persecution that are struggling through very real hard things in front of them. And so Jesus speaks to those seven churches. And what we're going to look at is his, what he says to the church in Ephesus to begin with. And what he says in the church in Ephesus is simply he's going to encourage them and tell them some good things. And then he's also going to say there's a problem here. And so as we look at this letter that he tells us, this is the way I want us to look at it. First, what's the struggle that's here? There's a struggle going on in this church that Jesus brings up. Secondly, what does Jesus say the answer is? And then lastly, how should that affect the way we live it out? Right. So the struggle that's there. How does Jesus tell us the answer to that is, and then how should it affect the way we live? And so look with me at Revelation chapter 2. Begin in verse 2 there. And so Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus through this vision to the Apostle John. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and, you, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. 
But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so just stop right there for a second. And let's start with the good that's there, because there's a struggle here. And there's a lot of things that Jesus seems to confirm at the church in Ephesus and what he's telling him. He says, you're enduring patiently in verse two. He says, you're not bearing those that are evil. That is, you're not just going along with the evil that's around you. He says, you're calling out false uh, teachers that are coming in. He says, you're testing all things and you're holding it up to scripture and you're calling out the things that don't go with it. And that's good. And he's telling them all these things that are really good. And he says, you're continuing. You're not growing weary. You're continuing to to go on. He says, you're enduring patiently. And then you get to verse six and he says this thing about uh, yet you have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so he says in a lot of ways, they're doing a lot of really good things. They're enduring. They care about doctrine. They're not giving into evil things. They're seeing all this stuff that's around them and they're holding fast and they're not growing weary. That's a pretty good picture. It's a good thing. A lot of what's going on. I think there's a real practical encouragement just in reading that, that when we're going through hard times and when things are bearing down on us and when people are, are professing things that are against Jesus and that we are holding fast to that, God knows it and he's with us in that. And he knows right where you are and what you're dealing with. And that's a great encouragement. And so you see all that. And there's a lot of good things there. Uh, verse 6 might be a little bit shady there too. Or, or a little bit uh, kind of hidden. You go, what's he talking about with the Nicolaitans? And yes, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There's two big ideas on what that is. <clears throat> One, there was a guy in Acts named Nicholas that they believed uh, through history, we believe, was kind of syncretizing between pagan worship and Christianity and kind of bringing them together. And so they became known as Nicolaitans because they were doing that and they were following this guy in that way. And Jesus says, that's not good. You don't take what the culture says and, and then bend scripture to kind of bring those things together. Don't do that. Or some scholars say that it's, it's a play on words that's going back to a Hebrew word and it has to do with licentiousness. If you know what that is, uh, a license to use grace to do whatever you want. And, and what they meant particularly was in areas of sex. You could do whatever you want because you're saved by grace. And what God is saying and what Jesus is saying is you're not holding to that. And you hate those works of trying to take two things that don't go together. You're not bending scripture and this is good. And so you see that they're being very faithful to doctrine. They're being faithful to the truth in a lot of ways. And those are all good things. But there is a problem. So what's the battle or what's the problem that's going on? And you see it in verse 4. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Repent, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so Jesus says they're doing a lot of good things and they're holding fast, but there's a problem. And the problem is, is that you don't, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. And you see this all the way throughout the Gospels. You see it always in the way Jesus teaches and always in the way he talks. He's not just caring about our outward actions of what we're doing, but the heart that's behind it. And he says, you're doing these things, but you've abandoned the love that you had at first. 
You're not holding fast to loving me. You're not doing it out of an overflow of a love for me, but you're just becoming uh, duty driven and you're doing all these things. You're doing a lot of good things, but your heart's not uh, tuned to who God is and what he's done in Jesus. And they're not operating out of love. And I want you to think about what that starts to look like when we're duty driven and we do things because we should do them. And we have to do them. And then we become very, very serious about doctrine and calling out wrong doctrines and what that looks like. And this is not who we are. And there's no love behind it. You ever been around that before? It gets ugly real fast. When we start to define who we are as Christians as we don't do these things. And there's things God tells us to be obedient to and to do and to not do. And we're called to be obedient. I'm not downplaying that. But when we start to make it be all that we're about and the love that we have for Jesus becomes secondary, that's where it becomes duty driven. and It becomes this hard burden that we have to walk with in all things. And so we go to church not because we're excited. Remember, you are the church. We don't go to the church building to worship God and be excited about who God is. But we go because that's what good Christians do. They go on Sunday morning. Right. That's kind of the picture that's starting to emerge here. And so they speak truth. But there's not a whole lot of love in what they're saying. Yes, they hate these works and they hold fast to these things. But he says, you've forgotten the love that you have. Have you ever seen uh, people who speak harsh truth, but there's no love behind it? Uh, My son, Jed, said to my youngest, Jed's my middle son. My youngest son, uh, Quinn, is five. And they're sitting in the back seat the other day. And Jed pronounces, Quinn, your face is disgusting. That is so gross. I can't stand it. And I'm like, what? Well, Quinn had a cold last week, and he wasn't wrong in the way he said that. And I said, Jed, what are you doing? And Jed says, I speak the truth, Dad. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, kind of, right? But did you have to say it that way? Couldn't you have taken a a tissue and said, let me help you with that, Quinn, and we'll we'll deal with that? If, If you've ever been around that in the church, right? When we say this is what we're called to do and this is what we're called to be. But there's no love for Christ. There's no love for one another. But we're just going to be hard pronouncers of truth. It comes across kind of like Jed did to his little brother. It's ugly and it's harsh. And then when people get that kind of heaped on them, it becomes this duty. We now have to do these things. And it becomes this struggle that's there. And it becomes a very religious uh, kind of feel and life to it. Here we are, people that were bought with a price by Christ, through grace, by faith. It's all God's doing. And then suddenly, as we come into the church, we can switch that into being. But this is now who we are. We do these things and we don't do these things. And somewhere there becomes this disconnect between people who are saved by grace versus, no, 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 we're these people that do these things. And it becomes really ugly really quickly. And how quickly we forget that we're saved by what Christ has done for us completely and totally. But then we start to try to walk that out. And the way we walk that out is we're going to add a bunch of rules and we're not going to be this and we're going to be this. And instead of living out of an overflow of our heart, it becomes this harsh, ugly thing. And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting out in Revelation 2. Yes, you're enduring and you're holding fast the doctrine and you're saying these things, but you've abandoned the love you had at first. And so he calls them out on that. And I want you to think about that picture that's there. The harshness that leads to when we act and operate that way. When everything is kind of put in those terms. 
or, or when our discipleship becomes, yes, we're saved by grace, but we leave grace behind now in our discipleship. It doesn't work. Right? We, we actually just sang it just a second ago, if you notice. By grace alone. I'm going to run the race. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to be sanctified. I'm going to do all that by grace and grace alone. And we say that and we sing that, but then we oftentimes live it out by now we're going to add all these rules and do it this way. And it becomes really harsh and really ugly. I heard uh, Matt Chandler speak a couple years ago. If you know who Matt Chandler is, he's actually the president of Acts 29, which we're now part of as a church. Matt's a very gifted communicator, uh, pastor in Dallas, Texas. And I remember him relaying a story of where this harshness comes in and grace gets left behind. And how frustrating and difficult and ugly it can be when it's said this way. But Matt tells the story of going to a rally when he was in college. And he had invited a friend of his. He said he was in an art class and the girl was a few years older than him. Already had a child, was not married, had made some different decisions in her life. She was not a believer, but Matt and a couple other people befriended her and they got to be real good friends. And they got really close. And so they invited her to come to this thing because Matt's friend was playing the music. And he said, well, come hang out with us and check out. This is my friend playing the music. And I think there's a speaker, but we'll just go because we want to see our friend. And she says, okay. And so they show up to this uh, great big auditorium and the music's great and all that stuff. And then it turns out it's an abstinence rally, right? So there's, there they are in college at this thing, which, by the way, the Bible is very clear on this. Sex is reserved for marriage, and it's for one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for life. The Bible's clear on that. There's no discussion of how that looks. That's exactly what Scripture says, and we should hold to that, not making light of that at all. But he said as they went to this, the speaker talked about what it looks like in abstinence and how important it is. And he said he used this example of a rose. And maybe you've heard this at different times in, in abstinence rallies. And he takes out the rose and he holds it up and he says sex is this wonderful gift that's meant to be kept in marriage. And it's delicate and it's beautiful and it's all these things. And he takes the rose and he touches the rose petal and says it's so soft and it smells so good. And this is this great gift that God's given us. And then he hands the rose to the audience and says, pass it around and feel the petals and see, you know, so you understand what I'm saying and goes on and finishes his talk. And so the rose, imagine it goes, gets passed around this whole room and it gets back up to the front and he gets towards the end and he says, oh, and now where's my rose? Can I have my rose back? And they hand it back to him. And of course, it's pretty beat up and it's withered and it's got all these problems with it now. And he holds it up and he says, and this is what happens if you pass around yourself before marriage you get used up and beat up and all this stuff and that's the picture and then he asked the question and who would want that rose now and that was the way he ended it and so matt chandler tells the story that i've never been more angry in my life than i was sitting there he said i wanted to stand up and go up to the front and punch the guy in the face and take the rose and say jesus wants the rose that's the picture of grace. But then we start to say, no, 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 but discipleship looks like this. We don't do this. And if you do this, then nobody's going to want you. And that, that's not the gospel. And that's what happens when we forget the love that we once had at first. And we make it duty-driven, and this is what it looks like, and this is how we do it. And that's not what it calls us to. And so look at the answer that Jesus gives us. He says, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. And so what's the answer to this? Verse 5, he says, repent, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. He says, you go back 
to what that was like. So we're talking about evangelism, proclaiming the good news of who God is. And you go back and you remember what that was like. I am a sinner that cannot do this, that is far from a holy God. And that God loved me so much that he came down and he entered in and he gave his life for me. And he melted my heart. I've done what you could never do for you. He says, you go back and you remember and you repent. See, the life of a believer is continual repentance. It's continually going back. It's going back over and over. In each moment and each day, we need to hear the good news over and over and over and over again. See, what happens in all of us is is we say, yes, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by faith. The deceitfulness of our heart and then comes in and says, yes, but you're a good Christian because you go to church every Sunday. Or you read your Bible five times this week. Or you did this and you did that and you make your standing with God You're continuing ongoing standing with God, what you do versus what Jesus has done. And we need to repent and go back that it's all Jesus. All of it. And when we forget that, we start to believe lies that come in. What we know about uh, this church in Ephesus, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 19, it's when Paul goes in and plants the church. And there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And God does this tremendous work through Paul. And all these people are coming to faith. And then there's this crazy story in the midst of this. uh, In Acts chapter 19, there's some guys that see Paul healing people and doing all these things. And they go, that looks like a good idea. You know this story? The seven sons of Sceva. They go and they say, this sounds like a good idea. We'll we'll latch on to this. And so they start saying, uh, in the name of the God that Paul worships, this Jesus, we command spirits to come out of you. You know how that goes? You know that story? They start saying that. Right? The next thing is it says they say that and the spirits turn and look at them and they go, we've heard of Paul. We know Jesus, but who are you? Right? And then they beat them naked. Right? I, I'm not making that up. You can go read it. That's what happens. They get beaten to a point that they're now naked and they run off that way. And so what happens in the town is everybody goes, whoa. And then it says all the people that were believers, already believers, repent. And what they do is they come and they burn all their books on magic and all this stuff. And they bring them and they repent. But here's the thing I want you to see. That's what we know about the beginning of the church at Ephesus. And Jesus says, go back and do the works you did at first. And what we see when we go back and we read that is Christians who were not believing something is true about God, namely that we need magic, that we need to add these other things, that God's not sovereign in all these ways. And then they see the power of God and they repent and they come back to him. And they say, yes, I need Jesus afresh today. And so what I want you to think about in all this is the importance of evangelism in our life day to day. We often think of it it's something we pronounce to people that don't yet know Jesus, but not for us. But I'm going to tell you, each and every day, every single one of us needs to hear the good news over and over and over again. We become anxious about maybe our health, or we become anxious about what's going on at the world, right? All you got to do is turn on the news for two minutes. Better yet, watch like 30 seconds of one of the debates and you'll be real anxious real quickly about what's going on in the world. And we start to go, oh no, what happens in this? Well, what's the problem when we do that? Oh no, what's going to happen? 
We need a new Supreme Court justice. Oh no, what's going to happen? I'm not believing in the moment that God is sovereign over all things and I need to repent and come back and rest in Him and I need to hear the good news that God loves me and He's in control and nothing is outside of His sovereign will. I need to hear the good news again today. And then I'm going to go home and something's going to bother me and then my pride's going to flare up and then I need to hear the good news that God is gracious. And that he loves me despite my mistakes. And he loves me despite my pride. And he loves me despite all these ways that I forget about him. Friends, when you think about it, every sin in our life, every single one of them down the road, is we have decided to not believe in the moment something is true about God. You understand, when, when we become really anxious about what's going on in the world in that moment, I'm choosing to believe that God's not really sovereign over everything that's happening. And I need to hear the good news of who God is again in that moment. I go, yes. Yeah, I do need to hear that. I need to be evangelized. I need to be re-evangelized in my heart to who God is and what he's done every day over and over and over again. I need to go back and see the love that I had at first for Jesus. Not be duty-driven, not push all those things aside, but begin to come back to a heart that sees that. The Christian who thinks they've arrived and I don't need to hear that anymore doesn't know their own heart and they don't know the power of God. And that's all of us, by the way, at different times. We all fall into thinking that. And we all need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. And so what does that look like when we begin to do that and walk that out? And we'll end with this. Uh, Just a couple of ideas on that. As we do that, and as we come back, and as we're re-evangelized, and we keep coming back, and this is the area I'm not believing about God, and we speak the truth into that, and we receive uh, God's word and what it says, right? I can become very prideful about different things, and then God reminds me and humbles me, or I can become very anxious about things, and God's truth comes into that. You know what begins to happen as we do that over and over together. And by the way, we need one another to do that, right? This is where the end comes in for our up relationship with God. We need to be reminded by one another. We need to be speaking these truths to each other continually. The, the places of my heart, I need to hear it over and over. And when that happens, guess what happens? I become more and more fluent in the good news of who God is and what he's done. Do you understand? Like I begin to see how it applies to every area of my life, which we're saying discipleship is becoming obedient to Jesus in every area of our life. And it becomes to have that effect on me. I start to go, I'm anxious, oh, but God's sovereign over that, right? I blew it today, but God is gracious in that, right? And it happens over and over and over. And what that does is it brings a deep seated humility in me because I know I can't do this on my own. I am lost without Jesus. And what that does is it starts to knock off the edges of to go, no, 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 this is what good Christians do and this is not good Christians don't do. No, I go, uh, good Christians, wait, I screw up all the time and it's all Jesus. That's what Christians do. They repent and cling to Christ because that's all we have. And what that does is it humbles us and it softens us. It makes us more loving to the out to the people that don't yet know Jesus. The more fluent I become in the way 
the good news applies to me the more I see it in every person I talk to. When my neighbor tells me they're anxious, and then I look, I go, they don't know Jesus. They don't have the answer. How do they deal with that? I know how I deal with it. God's sovereign, and I can rest in that, and he loves me. And then it makes me want them to know that. You see how those go together? Me growing in my relationship with God and you helping me in that makes me want to show other people and tell other people that. All of those go together in the way God is working that out for us. Instead of harsh, hard-edged, this is what Christians do and this is what we don't do and this is what it looks like, all we've got is it's all Jesus. The answer to all of it is Him and what He's done. And so the truth is when we start to talk about things like evangelism and discipleship and all those things, and those are good things, those are words the Bible uses, those are things where we're called to be and called to do, but the truth is we need to hear it over and over. And you know what happens when we do this? When we speak this truth to each other, we speak the truth in love, and we continue to point one another to how glorious God is in everything, that's where people go, what is wrong with those people? They're so gracious and they're so kind and they're so forgiving and they bear with one another and they love each other. And then it becomes the greatest apologetic there is to the watching world that doesn't yet know Jesus. Do you see how all of those go together so clearly? And it's so important that Christ is always at the center and what he's done for us because any other way it's going to fall flat and it's not going to work. Oh, that we would be the church that when Jesus, he goes, you didn't forget your first love. I don't want to be that. I want to be so overwhelmed with his love that that compels me in everything. I don't want him to say you did your duty and you called out bad doctrine and you did those things, but you abandoned the love that you had at first. Oh, may that never be. May Jesus always be the center of all of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I thank you that it meets us right where we are each and every day. I pray that you would do a work in us, in our body with one another together, that we would see so clearly that we need you each and every day, that we would encourage one another with that that we would bear with one another, continuing to point each other to Jesus, that it's Christ alone that meets all of our needs. And that in so doing, that we would be so overwhelmed to share that with others and that they would see something really different in our lives. And that would be you, your glorious name, your glorious grace at work in and through us. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for all that you are doing and all that you will bring to completion. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.